0: The scripture reading for today is from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 21. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. god made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of god for the word of god in scripture for the word of god among us for the word of god within us thanks be to god it's really a joy and a privilege to have shane claiborne here with us this morning Shane and I had not met before this weekend, but we've been traveling similar paths um, with similar readings and friends. And um, so it's a great privilege to have you here. I love what you said today is that our generation is kind of rising up out of the compost of Christianity. (laughs) Um, And I think that's what we both shared is um, we keep following Jesus because we deeply believe what might, in what might be possible if we really embraced and really followed what he taught. And Shane has certainly been, for me and for many of us, an example of what that means to embody that. He is an activist, an author, and peacemaker. We're so glad his wife, Katie Jo, can also be with us uh, this weekend. So would you join me in welcoming Shane Claiborne? <laughs>
1: it's uh it's just wonderful to be here i've been looking forward to it and especially because i get to talk about peace Uh, you were reflecting on uh walking the way of peace and i have to confess you can tell from my southern accent i grew up in tennessee and uh my family are from the hills in fact we we inherited a piece of land and the name on the deed is old hag holler Uh, so literally like my my folks are from the hills and i grew up with guns my dad grew up uh, or my dad was in the military and then uh, i was telling folks last night you know i fell in love with jesus i came to the altar you know uh got born again and i um i meet folks now that tell me you know my life was such a mess and then i met jesus and everything came together i'm like god bless you like for me I feel like I pretty much had my life together. And then I met Jesus and he messed everything up because I started reading the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like that we're to love our enemies, that we're to sell everything we have and give it to the poor. <laughs> you're like, does anyone really believe this? You know? And so I've been like, uh, as that scripture says, working out my salvation with fear and trembling for the last 20 years or so and trying to figure out what it looks like to walk the path of peace. Um, the more I looked at the Bible Belt that introduced me to Jesus, the more I saw some of the contradictions, especially when it comes to the nonviolence and the peace and the way of Jesus. Uh, uh, I wrote two books because I found out that the the biggest group of supporters of the death penalty in America are Christians. Uh, Folks that worship Jesus... uh, who was a victim of the death penalty and came to triumph over death like we're still the biggest supporters of the death penalty. When it comes to guns, uh, Christians are the highest gun-owning demographic in America. (laughs) And so these things, you know, they're familiar to me. I grew up with guns. Uh, But I also started to see that the more I fell in love with the Prince of Peace, the more it challenged me to rethink the way that I live in a world so full of violence. And uh, I Now, you know, as I read the scripture and I go back, I wrote this new book, Rethinking Life, because I went back to try to relearn scripture a little bit. And one of the things that I found out is that the first place the word sin is used in the Bible is not in the Garden of Eden, but it's actually at the inaugural murder of Cain and Abel. One of the first things that happens outside the Garden of Eden, right, is a brother killing his own brother. And it says that that's the first word, the time that we have the word sin in the Bible. And it also says that the blood cries out to God from the ground. And we've been kind of living that path of violence uh, ever since. And I I think that part of why Jesus came was to show us how to live in a world so full of violence. And, you know, as I go back in scripture and I look at uh, these texts... Um, you see that the bible's full of violence you know um, uh, even after cain and abel we have moses who i learned in sunday school you know is one of the heroes of our faith but he killed someone in the book of exodus he says he killed someone and he tried to bury them in the sand moses committed murder and then you keep reading and you get to david who uh, uh you know i learned in sunday school was a man after god's own heart maybe on good days uh, but he had some bad ones you know and he ends up doing all these, he just shreds the Ten Commandments in two chapters of the Bible, right? And he ends up uh, uh, raping a woman named Bathsheba. And then he ha- David has her husband Uriah killed in the battlefield. And yet he hears the rebuke of God. He goes on to repent. And it's interesting because when you get to the New Testament the very first chapter of matthew the first chapter of the new testament has the genealogy that leads up to jesus the family tree of jesus right and you know those are kind of boring sometimes you want to just skip over them it's this this was the son of the son of the son of but it's interesting if you look closely because matthew as he's writing it he gives the account of david and bathsheba and he says and then solomon was born solomon was the son of david but his mother was uriah's wife it's like, don't forget, that was messed up, right? That was messed up. And yet, isn't it interesting that even the, the family tree of Jesus is, has violence in it. It has that brokenness of humanity in it. We, you know, you look at Saul who wrote half the New Testament. And yet, before his conversion, he was a violent man. He went door to door trying to torture and kill Christians. He oversaw, supervised the execution of the first martyr of the church, young man named Stephen, and he gets blinded by the grace of God. He goes on to write, "Chief of sinners am I?" because he had seen some stuff. Right. So I like how the great Irish theologian Bono, um, the singer of you two, right, Bono says, "The fact that the Bible is full of violence." Messed up, sinful people used to disturb me, but now I find it a great source of comfort. Because the whole story is the story of a God who is loving even when we're not. A God whose grace is bigger than our worst mistakes. And so we can uh, take some confidence and courage from the fact that even David sinned was not bigger than God's grace. That God's love is bigger than we can ever imagine. And yet, it seems like sometimes Christians are the last people to kind of understand and mind the, the, the riches of that grace. Uh, uh, you know, as, as Gandhi was saying, I said this morning, you know, when he was asked about Christianity, he, uh, he, he said, I love Jesus, I just wish the Christians acted more like him. The Christians are so often very unlike their Christ... That's why, you know, even in the pandemic, I, I found some of the holes in our theology very interesting because you had all these people, uh, you know, some of these worship leaders that saw wearing masks as a persecution, right? And uh, and so they said, you know, we're going to not wear masks because God's going to protect us. And I said, but isn't it ironic that some of the same folks that say we don't need to wear masks because God's going to protect us have an AR-15 to make sure that they're safe. You know, there's some holes in our theology, especially when it comes to our theology around violence. And I would suggest that the whole story, the narrative of Scripture, is God trying to wean us off of our addiction. To violence even our idea of sacrifice as we move from I'm pulling out a little Renee Gerard up in here okay to like moving from uh, human sacrifice to animal sacrifice to this idea that our own sacrifices will atone for our sins and then Jesus comes I know everybody's got a little Pentecostal in them so you might need to lean deep into it this morning okay but uh, but then Jesus comes amen and And Jesus comes as the the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, right? To show us what God's perfect love looks like. But if we miss it, we can end up distorting, I think, everything that Jesus came and lived and died for. So you can end up with a version of Christianity that has God pointing a gun at humanity and saying, you deserve to die, but then taking the gun off of us And pointing it on Jesus and killing Jesus. Of a God that might be easy. To worship but hard to love right a a God that's easy to fear but hard to love and so I think we've got to do better theology right To, to center Jesus and to say what does it mean that Jesus came to show us as scripture says this is the full revelation of God's love this is God with skin on and from the moment Jesus is born into this violent world we see God absorbing the violence God being born with brown skin Skin. God being born a refugee God being born homeless because there was no room in the end God marginalized in every way even to the point of the cross where Jesus absorbs all the violence and puts it on display on the cross in order to subvert it with love and forgiveness and an empty tomb that this is God's love In contrast to the systems and structures of violence in our world and it's so hard for us to get I mean even Peter you know who I I like Peter because Peter's human you know Peter's still figuring it out and um, you know Peter at one point when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus he still impulsively uh, resorts to violence I mean you got to remember Peter like heard the Sermon on the Mount live not on Zoom, like real time. But then the soldiers came. And he gets scared, right? He, he, he gets defensive. He stands his ground, right? He pulls a sword and cuts off a guy's ear. And Jesus' response is dazzling, right? Jesus rebukes Peter and says, no, you still don't get it. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. Put that away. And then he heals the guy that Peter wounded. I, I love that part. You know, it says he picked up the ear and put it back on the man. He's like, you help a brother out, right? <laughs> and I think like that, that, it must have been an interesting dinner conversation when that guy comes home, you know, and he's like, uh, you know, kids, how was your day? Kids are like, ah, got a lot of math homework. How's your day, dad? Dad's like, weird like we came to arrest this guy and his dude pulled a sword on me and cut my ear off and then the guy we came to arrest put my ear back on <laughs> he was he was scarred with that love and grace right he'll tell that story a few times i think you know and but peter had to understand that's why you know my friend nadia bolz weber she says maybe we missed the translation peter the rock on which i build the church and it's actually peter you're dumb as a rock but i'm still going to build my church on you right because this is not about you it's about god's love and the face and he's got that humanness right so even he resorts to violence but he gets it in the end he doesn't use violence he he's executed as a the, the legend is he's executed uh, crucified upside down on the cross he he began to to understand and internalize the love of God and so Peter uh, is is human like we are the early Christians said when Jesus disarmed Peter he disarmed every one of us because if ever there was a case to be made for using violence even to try to protect the innocent Peter had the strongest case there ever was but we see that that violence is the disease not the cure that we cannot mirror the violence of the world as we try to rid the world of violence it's also why Jesus challenged the idea of retaliation I think reconciliation that beautiful passage of Corinthians reminds us that reconciliation and retaliation are two different ideas right and that idea that Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? It was an ancient paradigm for thinking about justice called lex talionis, where we get the idea of retaliation from, and it allowed for reciprocal harm. It literally defined justice as hurting someone back, In the exact same way that they hurt you. An eye for an eye. So it was as literal as if they poked your left eye out, you could poke their left eye out. Reciprocal harm. And so that's why, uh, you know, we kind of misunderstand it though. And we kind of use it as a license for revenge. But it was meant to stop the spiral of violence so that it didn't continue you if you poke my eye out i couldn't poke both of your eyes out i couldn't burn down your mother-in-law's house i couldn't retaliate any more than what you had done so it set a limit on the harm that we could do but that's why i love jesus because jesus comes and says you've heard it said an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth and jesus says, but i tell you this right as the one who came to fulfill that law that we might have a legal right to return harm But that's not the best we can do right literally we know our mothers and fathers taught us you know uh, uh, two wrongs don't make a right that uh, we don't have to harm someone back so jesus is going to say come and challenge that idea the logic of retaliatory justice right that we're you don't have to hurt them back so we know that deep down you know um, if you poke my eye out we're not going to really poke your eye out that's that's not good uh We don't rape people who rape to show that rape is wrong. And yet sometimes in the most extreme cases, we still hold that logic. Right? In in murder, that we're going to kill someone to try to show that killing is wrong. And yet we end up mirroring the evil ourselves. The cure becomes as bad as the disease and so that's why I think uh, as I look at Jesus he's he makes a spectacle of this violence to show us uh, uh, another way I also uh, you know I, I I love that when he, when he says you know you've heard it said and I for an eye, Moses told you this but I'm gonna tell you this you don't even need to hurt them back we we can do it differently and so some of my heroes in the movement of restorative justice are people who have experienced the most horrific harm but refuse to mirror that harm folks like my friend reverend sharon Richer, her family was killed in emmanuel ame church in the in the middle of wednesday night services as they were praying and studying the bible together together and dylan roof came in and he he killed them in the middle of their their bible study and yet i remember as i know she's become one of my real close friends over the years Reverend Risher she's a hero in the world right now I think she's an American treasure but she 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 talks about how uh, all the different emotions she went through and so naturally you know instinctively she wanted the most horrific uh, 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 consequences for what Dylan Roof did he killed her mama Ethel Lance he killed her cousins he killed her family but you may remember you know as a trial uh, begin to go forth. Uh, those families, and eventually Reverend Chair and herself, she said, "We got to believe that Jesus's love is bigger than Dylan Roof's hatred and racism. He doesn't need an electric chair. He needs to know the love of Jesus." And she she talks about forgiveness, not so that he could sleep at night, but so that she could sleep at night, not allowing his hatred. To narrowly define her love, she would not be held hostage to Dylan Roof's hatred. It's that that kind of love that baffles the mind, right? And yet, it's it's that kind of love that I think even as we look at our world, it's so countercultural—the way of Jesus, the way of peace. I can remember, you know, in those big acts of violence, uh, like after September 11th, it was, uh, you know, it's... 3,000, over 3,000 folks were killed in this attack of hatred and racism. Our country had a moment, right, where people began to grieve and recalibrate. And uh, I can remember in Philadelphia, someone hung a banner that said, let's kill them all and let God sort them out. So in people's fear and anger and desperation some of the ugliest things came out but there were also some amazing other narratives that didn't always make the news as much as they should but there were there was a group of families that lost their immediate loved ones in 9 11. Uh, these were husbands and wives and mothers and children of folks who were killed in the attacks and they got together as a support group to grieve and uh, I'll never forget hearing the stories as they began to grieve together. They saw the war uh, begin to ensue and they said, No! Our grief is not a cry for war. Please don't kill in the name of our loved ones. There was a moment, right, where and I can remember many of those families went to Iraq and Afghanistan and they built relationships with families there. And they came back bringing gifts from uh, families in Iraq to the families in New York and D.C. And it was the kind of stuff that heals the wounds, right? And I got a call uh, uh, about a delegation that was going to Iraq. and It was exactly 20 years ago. Uh, March of 2003 that we went to Iraq uh, as the bombs were starting to fall there was at that time 900 bombs a day some days that were being dropped on Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, We lived in Baghdad in in that time to uh, accompany families and uh, I mean it was the most horrific things that I can you know, the memory of what happened, what it felt like to have those bombs dropped on, on Baghdad as we were there. But also, I saw this beautiful little cracks of hope and of defiant hope. One of the the, the, the stories I can remember is as, as the bombs were falling on Baghdad, one of the little girls that we had grown close to, her family, we were living in the same apartment compound where they were. And... Uh, uh, she said, "I'm turning 13 years old." We're like, I "Gotta have a birthday party, you know? Like 13, 13's big." So we, we say it doesn't matter if it's a war. We're gonna have a birthday party. So her name is Amal, which means hope. And we threw this birthday party for her, and you know, we blew up balloons and we're playing games. Like, I got busted out some circus skills right okay, I'm like doing handstands and backflips, and we got balloons flying everywhere. And uh, then the bombs started falling. And I'll never forget. Uh, all the adults were like, "We need to get inside." You know, we got to get out of here. And uh, the kids, they started. They, they looked at us and they go, "No, we got to keep the party going." And one of them slapped me in the head with a balloon, and we just kept going. You know, and there was this sense that that our laughter is more powerful than the bombs. Uh, I can remember one of the kids. Every time an airplane would fly over, he would yell. As if they could hear him, he would go, "Salam, Peace. And so as we, we asked them all, you know, we got the birthday cake, and we, we asked her, what do you want for your birthday? 13 years old, right? She's like, I want peace. I want people to learn to love each other, to stop the violence. And then she got this smirk, with the smirk of a 13-year-old, right? And she goes, but if one night... While no one was in my high school, if a bomb kind of fell on it, maybe the math department of the school, that might be nice too, you know. And we we kept that hope alive as we were there. You know, it it felt so suffocating, the violence. And I I think right now, you know, as um, as we think about what it means to live in the way of peace, what it means to follow Jesus, the Prince of Peace, In a world with so much violence it's gonna look different from the world around us so much so that I you know I I think of Martin Luther King and I've been been reflecting on a lot of dr. King's wisdom and one of the things that he talked about as you may know he um, he talked about how we need to be maladjusted and dr. King uh, you know took this was intended to be an insult. People said, you're maladjusted, and he took it and turned it on itself and made it a compliment. And he said, "Uh, maybe I am maladjusted because we live in a world that has become way too adjusted to racism, a world that has become way too adjusted to poverty. We've become way too adjusted to other people's suffering." we become way too adjusted to violence. We need to be some holy, maladjusted people in the world. And so I think Jesus came to show us what it looks like to be maladjusted to a world of violence. I think of Dr. King also, as he said 50 years ago, these are extreme times that we're living in. And the question isn't whether or not we will be extremists. But what kind of extremists will we be? Will we be extremists for hatred or extremists for love? And the world has seen all kinds of extremists for hatred. Of all different faiths and stripes and flavors, right? You go in the Ibrahimic mosque. Katie and I went there in Hebron. A Jewish extremist went and killed Muslims in the middle of worship in their mosque. We've seen folks that profess to be Muslim that do all kinds of violent things. We've seen Christians blow up abortion clinics and dance on the doctor's grave and hold signs that say God hates people. We've seen Christians that are not immune to having our own faith distorted by hatred and violence. But what would it look like to see more and more extremists for love rise up, right? People who say we will not mirror the the darkness, we're going to punch holes in it, right? We're going to be light in the world. And so I want to... Uh, uh, play you this little song because when I was in Iraq it it felt like everywhere we went we felt the light in the midst of the darkness we felt the love in the midst of the violence and it's interesting because this song that I'm gonna play you uh, We Shall Overcome I learned it from homeless mothers in Philadelphia that taught me the song We Shall Overcome and then I went to India And I went to a little village outside Calcutta and a a village that Mother Teresa had started and these little kids all of whom were outcasts because of the skin conditions they had they were they had leprosy and so they were they were ostracized and they took me into the school with the kids and they sang in Hindi we shall overcome and then there we are you know years later in Iraq and my friend hears these kids singing in Arabic, we shall overcome. And he grabbed a little handheld recorder and recorded it. This is in the middle of the sanctions and war. As we think about what it means to be people of peace, listen to the kids in Iraq.
2: شيء ذنب يد اليوم في ما أنا أؤمن نحن نمشي يدًا بيد اليوم نحن لسنا خائفين نحن لسنا خائفين نحن لسنا خائفين, نحن لسنا خائفين اليوم
1: E final, eu vou chamar. We God, I think of uh, that scripture where it says, "Your, your entire creation is groaning, groaning, aching." We pray that your your love would heal this broken land. You would heal our hearts. Heal our streets heal our world that violence that goes all the way back to Cain and Abel that you would heal our violent hearts you would disarm our violent impulses that you would interrupt the violence in our streets shape us and form us into your people that we might be a force for love A force for mercy in a merciless world. A force for love in a hateful world. A force for life in a world so full of death and violence. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us love on full display so that we can follow. Amen.
3: In 2006 a few friends of mine um, wanted to go to you want to to uganda and make a difference before we left a good friend gave us this book uh, that said this might be good for you to uh to read while you're there and he gave me this book called irresistible revolution and um although we went to make a difference to do uh we found um our motivations slowly changing. And we found ourselves um, shifting from doing and saving and sharing to, to actually being and allowing ourselves to really receive and learn from the people that we came to love. But one of the things that was really uh, challenging after we fell in love um, with these neighbors in Uganda uh, was then m- meeting up with a bunch of missionaries from all over Uganda uh, in, the, in the capital Kampala to celebrate the 4th of July. And um, I never thought something like that would be so um, challenging. But I guess over the years, I came to um, explain the feeling kind of like having a birthday party in someone's house and they weren't invited. And celebrating things that they couldn't celebrate either. And so um, when I came back home, I wrote this song called Soon and Very Soon recognizing that oftentimes when we think of things like freedom, peace, and justice, um, we forget the main ingredient that is found in friendship. That's first and foremost in friendship and relationship. Um, So the bridge, um, if I have freedom, but my neighbor's a slave, then she ain't here. If I have justice, but my neighbor's dying of hunger, then she ain't here. If I have peace, but my neighbor lives by the gun, then she ain't here. And if I have love, but I keep it to myself, then it ain't love, and she ain't here.
2: Freedom is coming soon and very soon. free down It's coming soon and very soon Soon and very soon she's coming soon and very soon Soon and very soon she's coming soon and very soon Soon and very soon she's coming soon and very soon I will wait, but won't pretend like she is here right now. Justice is coming soon and very soon. Justice. Is coming soon and very soon. Soon and very soon she's coming, soon and very soon. Soon and very soon she's coming, soon and very soon. Soon and very soon she's coming, soon and very soon. I will sing but won't pretend like she is here right now. Peace is coming soon and very soon. Coming soon and very soon. Soon and very soon she's coming, soon and very soon. Soon and very soon she's coming, soon and very soon. Soon and very soon she's coming, soon and very soon. I will dance but won't pretend like she is here right now and if I have freedom but my neighbor is a slave then she ain't here oh no no she ain't here Oh no, no, and if I have justice, but my neighbor's dying of hunger, she ain't here. Oh no, no, she ain't here. And if I have peace, but my neighbor lives by the gun, she ain't here. Oh no, no, she ain't here. Oh no, no, and if I have love, but I keep it to myself, then. It ain't love, no, no, no She ain't here, no, 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 no soon and very soon oh, yeah. it's coming soon and very soon soon and very soon she's coming soon and very soon Soon and very soon she's coming, soon and very soon. Soon and very soon she's coming, soon and very soon. I will wait and until then I'm going to love right now. I will sing and until then I'm going to love right now. I will dance and until then I'm gonna love right now.